0: Welcome to episode 11 of Recreational Thinking with Yoga Shrouth. Our guests are Mehran Etabari, Christine Welchel, and Devin Landon. Remember that order? It's arbitrary, but it'll be consistent throughout the game. So can we start now in that order? Each of you just briefly state where you're Skyping from and approximately one sentence about yourself, starting with Maron. Hi,
1: yeah, this is Mehran Etabari here in uh, Washington, D.C., although New Hampshire right by birth and true nationality. And uh, yeah, happy to happy to be joining you guys. Very nice to meet y'all.
2: All right,
0: Christine?
3: I am a lifelong Tennessean, currently living in Spring Hill, Tennessee, just about 30 miles south of Nashville, and I'm happy to be here.
2: And Devin? Hi, I'm Devin Landon. I'm a filmmaker living in Brooklyn, and I grew up outside of New York City, so I basically just stay in New York.
0: So uh, mostly an Eastern balanced game here. All right, so this game is going to be in four rounds, one individual and three specialists. So the first round I call the three R's round. It allows me to reduce, reuse, and recycle prior material. These questions, are mostly kind of like a warm-up and to get used to my question writing style but they'll be worth a tenth of a point as tiebreakers so for this round only all of the answering is going to be done as individuals so if the first person the question is directed at misses it'll go to the second and if the second misses it'll go to the third so the further back you are in the order less of a direct shot you have but the more time to think and more potential answers could get taken off the table and we'll rotate so each of you gets to answer three questions in first position, three in second position, and three in third. And then the rules will change after this round, but I'll explain that at that time. So again, just a reminder, you know, it's important to not blurt out an answer when it's not your turn to answer, but do try and listen to the question even when you're not first up to answer so I don't have to keep repeating it. And oh yeah, and just, you know, in general, because this is a podcast, just, you know, try and talk through your thinking process if possible. Don't talk just to fill up time or to you know make noise just the sake say making noise but in general you know the content of the podcast is people talking through their thinking processes it's not that important this first round because you won't be collaborating but especially once the collaboration portion starts you know try and uh, talk as much as necessary okay so we'll start now with Marin in first position on the first question is everyone ready yeah let do it all right First question, Henry Richardson Labois Jr., the husband of Eve Curie and thus the son-in-law of Marie Curie, became the fifth member of the Curie clan to receive a Nobel when he accepted the 1965 Nobel Peace Prize on behalf of what organization? Uh, <laughs> can you spell that last name again? Yeah, L-A-B-O-U-I-S-S-E. Hmm.
1: All right, so I've narrowed down that he appears to be of some sort of French background. And it's probably all the information I'm going to get from this while thinking this through. So that's probably not going to be that helpful here. Um, Organization 1965. Hmm, going on back then. Uh, there's there's a lot of conflicts that have happened throughout history. Let me think. I mean, I guess I could do a cop-out guess and go for one of the big ones here. So... Let's just go with the UN. I'm afraid I've got nothing better than that.
0: All right, the UN. Good guess. I think that organization has won multiple Nobel Prizes.
1: Yeah, that's my thinking there.
0: <laughs> All right, Christine?
3: He took my guess. Uh, that's I, was gonna, I had that ready to go. Um, I'm thinking of, yeah, like he was thinking, a lot of stuff going on, conflicts. This sounds French, the French were involved somewhat in Vietnam, but I really don't have any, there are no organizations that pop up in my head that had to do with that or anything, so I will just choose another one of the big ones and just say the red cross
0: all right yeah again um definitely a past winner maybe more than once but not correct in this case so devin
2: at least i'm feeling good about my thought processes because first i was gonna say the un and then i was like well if it's not that maybe the red cross i have <laughs> absolutely no idea so uh what's left uh don't I, I don't
0: you know what? I'm I'm going to actually.
2: Um, what I was going to say is UNICEF. That's my go-to.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that makes things suddenly very complicated for me because I was actually just about to cut you off and award the point or tenth of a point to Meron because UNICEF is a United Nations organization. But then you got it exactly on the nose with UNICEF, so I think I actually am going to award the tenth of a point to you. Oh. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right. Okay, sure. (laughs) Starting with Christine in first position on this question. Jones Barbecue in Kansas City sold approximately 11,000 bottles of their sauce over the course of a single weekend in March 2019 after being featured on the third season of what Netflix TV show?
3: Stranger Things.
0: Hmm. I'm not quite sure how that. Well, that is a Netflix show. I'm not quite sure how that would work, but um, I could guess. Devin?
2: I actually was in Kansas City for the first time in my life last week. I did not go to Jones, but I'm pretty sure it's Queer Eye.
0: Yeah, then the the new Netflix reboot of Queer Eye. In this case, they're helping, you know, in some cases, businesses as well as individuals. So now I'll start with Devin on the next question. Conceived by English teacher Perfecto Cuervo, a 2019 drama production at New Jersey's North Bergen High School went viral for its spectacular no-budget reconstruction of the elaborate sets and costumes of what classic sci-fi film?
2: Oh, man, I, this is combining so many of my interests theater and so i not north jersey i trying to stay away from that but um i i'm just gonna guess star
0: wars all right yeah i mean you know decent guess but i'm not correct in this case Marin. Huh.
1: so i definitely remember hearing about this when it came out and i seem to remember one of the stars in the movie showing up for some reason i'm getting an image in my head of sigourney weaver so let's go with alien Yes, that's correct. It is alien. Woohoo. Good job. I'm really glad because like, when this question started, I was, I was sure it was Avatar, but apparently my brain <laughs> corrected itself partway through.
0: <laughs> yes, well, Squirney Weaver was also in Avatar. Yeah. In her-, <laughs> her Avatar wore a Stanford shirt, in fact, so. <laughs> memorable for me. But all right. Um, so now starting with Marin in first position for this question. When Steve Jobs worked in Silicon Valley, he sometimes ate at a San Jose Mediterranean restaurant owned by a Syrian immigrant named Abdul Fattah Jandali. What did Jobs Jobs later learn that gave this fact a lot more significance?
1: So, if I recall Steve Jobs, um, his father was Syrian and his mother, I believe, was American. There was some parental interference that kept them from getting married and led to him being, or led to them, kept them from getting married immediately and led to him being put up for adoption. Um, I'm going to go with, was he his father?
0: Yeah, Abdul Fattah Jandali was his birth father. Yes. Yeah. There you go. He did not realize that at the time. that He uh, he, d- he did recall afterwards, he recalled meeting him and shaking his hand, but at the time he didn't know it was his own father. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, so starting now with Christine in first position on this. Where in the D.C. metro area was Rachel Carson living, appropriately, when she wrote the bulk of Silent Spring?
3: Oh, I, I'm just going to get, was it Silver Spring, Maryland?
0: Yeah, so uh, you, you did, a good, we've, we've had a few issues in the past with people adding an extra S onto the end of things, but you uh, you correctly remember that it was Silver Spring. But yes, I've never been able to, I've never known if it was just a coincidence, but when she wrote the book of Sight, <laughs> she was living in Silver Spring, Maryland.
1: Unfortunately, you guys know my area better, or well enough to, uh, to keep, to prevent me from uh, catching that on the rebound there. So well done. <laughs>
0: All right, uh, right, we're going through this pretty quickly. Devin, when Dorothy Parker died in 1967, to whom did she leave her entire estate? Oh,
2: I don't know, but I bet it was witty. Uh, (laughs) um, In what year did she die?
0: 1967.
2: 1967. Um, I'm making another wild-ass guess here. He may have already been dead by this point, but I'm just going to guess Truman
0: Capote. Why not? All uh, right, decent uh, guess. Yeah, I think I think he was still alive because he appeared in Murder by Death in the 70s. Okay.
1: Still no uh, wrong. But
0: <coughs> all right, Maron. <sighs>
1: all right, that's I uh, can come with all kinds of wild-ass guesses for this one, but uh, uh, I'm going to choose a different attack and go away from anyone famous. And I don't know if she had cats, but let's go with her cats. All right, that's an interesting attack to take. <laughs> Good guess, uh, but not in this case. Christine? Higher percentage than trying to come up with a person.
3: (laughs) I'm going to take a different direction altogether. And go with maybe an institution and see if maybe it was the New York City Public Library.
0: So um, yeah, it is interesting that if you want to um, excuse her dust, as she put it, to see where she she is actually buried on the grounds of an institution. I think um, I think the Los Angeles one of the branches of the the NAACP, but they actually were the recipients of her estate after the original recipient died only a year after her because when she died in 1967 she left it to someone who would be assassinated the following year martin luther king oh, Jr. wow yeah just uh, that's really, a fact yeah <laughs> all right all right and first first miss of the game which typically yeah I've, ha- I've had games where this entire round all three contestants went zero for nine so um so far you're, you're collectively five for six so uh you're doing good job well. guys <laughs>
1: yeah go team
0: all right. Starting with Marin on this one, the last cycle now. Hosting Cheaters, the reality show, from 2012 to 2017, turned out to be the peak career achievement for what strikingly handsome grandson of a legendary Hollywood movie star found dead in February 2019 at the tragically young age of 30? Oof.
1: February 2019, the age of 30. So i probably heard about this. And strikingly handsome grandson, handsome grandson movie star. Hmm. trying to think my way through this here i mean i guess i can go with the last name of anyone here um dang it i vaguely remember hearing about this but nothing's ringing a bell right now so i'm gonna choose arbitrarily a former You said grandson of a hollywood movie star right yep um let's
0: go with i'm gonna go with the last name how about brando all right uh, i see your logic there good guess but not correct in this case christine
3: oh I, wow, I do not remember anything about this, so, okay, 30 means he would have been born in, what, 1989, and so the grandparent might have been somebody who was born 60 years before then, maybe, so somebody was born around 1930 or so, so we're looking at maybe a movie star in the 50s, could it, I'm thinking maybe a, I don't know why, it's probably, I'm just going to say Kelly, a descendant of Gene Kelly or something, so sure, whatever.
0: All right, yeah, I may as well always guess when there's no penalty for guessing, which in this game at no point is there ever going to be a penalty for guessing, so uh, I do encourage people to always guess. Devin?
2: Um... I mean, I'm guessing as randomly as everyone else. I'm going to not waste our time, and we can get on to the next question, and I'll just say Tony Curtis. Right.
0: Yeah, it's, it's hard to, to kind of do the math with generation because sometimes people have children at advanced ages. So Christine's math was very logical, but it was a generation or so off in this case. But the host of Cheaters for those years, both preceded and succeeded by Joey Greco, his name was Clark J. Gable. Or Clark oh, Gable.
3: Oh, and yep. that crossed my mind too. oh, I'm mad now.
0: I definitely remember hearing about that now. Yep.
2: Oh, well. I still didn't know, so I'm good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Last question of Christine in first position in this round. What chief architect of Burj Khalifa in Dubai is also the head designer for Saudi Arabia's Jeddah Tower, which is projected to replace the Burj Khalifa as the world's tallest building if it ever gets completed?
3: Oh, my. I truly, I do not know architects. At all. That is... Wow, I don't even know where to begin with this one. I What were the two locations again?
0: The Burj Khalifa is in Dubai, famously yeah. the one that, uh, Tom Cruise dangled off of in that Mission Impossible movie. And the Jeddah Tower is in Saudi Arabia.
3: Okay. I literally only know of one architect, and I don't even know if he's still alive or not, so I'm just going to say I am Pei. All
0: right, uh, decent guess. Devin?
2: My plan was also to say I am Pei and be wrong, so I will go... <laughs> The last name Ali,
1: Marin. Good bold strategy. And so you said that is someone who is working on this currently. Yes.
0: I mean, I think I'm not sure if the Jedi Tower if it paused or something due to funding, but mm-hmm. I mean, yes, it's currently under construction. So that implies that this person is still alive, which takes away basically all of my <laughs> guesses. <laughs>
1: um, hmm. Let's see. Yeah, there's a number of. And Pedro. I mean, he did do some work in Qatar and then other parts of the Middle East. Zaha Hadid did some stuff, but they're both dead. So I don't know if Zaha Hadid had any um, offspring, but let's go with Hadid as a last name.
0: All right. Again, guessing. I do, like I said, try to encourage people to guess and in particular to guess. If you're going to guess, yeah, going with common last name is a good thing to go. But yeah, so this architect runs a Chicago-based firm with Gordon Gill. His name is Adrian Smith. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that would um, have been the time to the, the
2: Middle East. I was pretty close. <laughs>
0: So yeah, guessing Smith is is not always going to pay off, but it's certainly, you know, a, a better strategy than guessing nothing. All right. And now the last question of this round, so we'll start with Devin. An early nickname for Atlanta was Thrasherville in honor of pioneering settler John Thrasher. Oddly, the 1999 to 2011 NHL franchise called the Atlanta Thrashers, now the Winnipeg Jets, derived its name entirely separately. From where did the name Atlanta Thrashers come? Well,
2: they're in Atlanta. That's where the first part comes from. <laughs> Um, Half right, yes. I was really hoping you were gonna ask what the NHL team was when you said Thrasher. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's um, it's because they thrash their opponents.
0: I like that, but that may have been an intended connotation, but not the origin of the name. So, uh, Marin?
1: Um, just trying to remember what their logo looked like to see if I can remember anything about the mascot. <sighs> I could be entirely wrong on it, but I vaguely remember a bird. So let's say it's a kind of bird. Yeah.
0: So another way to approach that, right, is what are Atlanta's other teams? Their NBA team is the Hawks. Their mm-hmm. NFL team mm-hmm. are the Falcons. The Braves don't really fit that pattern, but the others are named after birds. And the state bird of Georgia is the Brown Thrasher. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, Thank
3: you for getting that so it didn't come to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like at the end of that we had, I believe, three forgotten by Devin, two, or sorry, three by Maron, two by Devin, and one by Christine. So at the end of that round we have a score of Merrin 0.3, Christine 0.1, Devin 0.2. So now we're getting into the main part of the competition where the rules will be changed up a bit. So the first round I call the not all that hard round. The questions are, this is probably going to be the easiest round of the game. And so in this round, in all successive rounds, each of you will get three specialist questions related to your categories. Standard caveat that's not intended to be a fair or comprehensive test of your knowledge of them. It may relate directly or obliquely. And to keep everyone on their toes, I won't reveal the categories at first, not until they become a bit evident so for the rest of the game before you can answer your own specialist question your opponents will get to work together to try and steal the points from you you'll only get a chance to answer for points if your opponents miss if i uh, pass the question over to you without saying whether your opponents were right or wrong just assume that they were wrong because otherwise there's no chance to get any points and as in previous episodes there are a few quasi randomly sprinkled in bonuses so if your questions get stolen from there's a chance you might get an extra question which would be worth half as many points as to steal so far they haven't shifted the outcome of any game, but they've given people who get stolen from a chance to show off knowledge and given okay. listeners three more questions. And as I said, those will go with some, not all stolen questions. There's no real pattern to it. And they will relate to the question. They won't necessarily always be in the same category or at the same level of difficulty. So for this round, since the questions are not all that hard, they'll be worth two points as a steal and one point if you get it as a specialist or one point as a bonus. And in stealing, the points will be given to both stealers even if only one of them knew the answer. So you do get to work together, but even if only one. of you knows the answer both of you will get points so there will be a bit of uh element of luck will go into the scoring as well so we'll start now with christine and devin trying to steal from marin so here's your question imran khan the current prime minister of pakistan also led his nation's team to victory in the 1992 world cup of what sport
2: well i mean i would guess that the honestly the only thing that pakistan's winning a world cup in is cricket is my guess go with it so we'll say cricket
0: all right, like in cricket, and yeah, I mean, your logic is uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. That is the only thing that they'll be uh, challenging for a World Cup in, so yeah. Is there um, like a Kabaddi World Cup, maybe? I'm trying to think <laughs> of what else we could do. <laughs> yeah, that company actually was played once as an exhibition sport at the Olympics, but I'm sure I, I, it's poised for a comeback, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now Marin and Devin to steal from Christine. All right, so in a previous episode, we had a question about Mr. Tambourine Man, the Birds' number one hit of 1965 written by Bob Dylan. However, the Birds had another number one hit in 1965 written by a different prominent folk singer, Turn, Turn, Turn by Pete Seeger. And Seeger, in turn, took the words of that song from the King James Version rendering of the first eight verses of the third chapter of what book of the Old Testament? Oh, God
1: trying to remember this uh my books of the old testament are not my knowledge is not perfect on this do you have any immediate thoughts here
2: i mean i can remember the song right yeah um, i can
1: recite those lyrics to everything turn turn, turn. there's a season
2: time <sighs> to die etc etc Sorry, can, can you just repeat real quick the just the bit at the end about the exactly what we're being asked about, what information you gave us about the book of the Bible?
0: Yeah, so the words basically, they come from the first eight verses of the third chapter of which book in the King James Version rendering, but it's not all that different in any other translation. Can you say Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament. Old Testament.
2: Um, I always forget if Psalms is old or new. Do you know? I believe Psalms is old. Is Proverbs new? I... <laughs> My old CCD teachers would be so mad at me. But um,
1: uh, uh, this is bad. This is bad. Uh, <laughs> this is very embarrassing here because we should know that. I feel like it's one of the other. One or the other. Psalms are Proverbs. But then again, it could be something entirely
2: different. And Chris everything, hundred percent, she knows this. It yeah. So. I mean, everything
1: in there sounds like a proverb, but could be a psalm. I think Psalms is the Old Testament at the very least, right?
2: Yeah, that, that would be my, if I were guessing by myself, that would be my guess. And this vague
1: in, inclination that Proverbs is new. So, um, yeah, shall we just go with Psalms? Let's do
0: it. Let's do it. Are you lacking in Psalms? Yes. Yeah. All right, Christine? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> okay, well,
3: y'all just kept getting so close, and I was afraid you were going to get there,
0: but,
3: yes, Psalms is the first book of the poetry section of the Old Testament, and Proverbs is the second book, Ah. Uh, that comes Ecclesiastes, and that's... Uh,
2: okay. And uh, I had that somewhere in my head, too, so... Uh,
0: yeah, so Psalms and Proverbs are both um, both in the Old Testament and both in the same section, the sort of wisdom and poetry section, but, yes, And
1: both equally uh, wrong, apparently. <laughs>
0: So now for Christine and Marin to steal from, trying to steal from Devin next. In December 2012, ex-speaker of the house Newt Gingrich happened to stop by St. Elmo's Steakhouse in Indianapolis, where he saw the cast of Parks and Recreation filming an episode. Taking advantage of this synchronicity, the show's writers hastily threw together a scene in which Gingrich made a cameo. Specifically, which Parks and Rec character says to him, I wonder if we're elated, only to be told, I don't think so.
1: I remember this episode, and um, I believe they had this like joke about the names Gergich and Gingrich and Gingrich. Sorry. So my, I believe I can't remember the quote of the show, but I'm pretty sure that that would probably imply that it's Jerry Gergich. Right, so
0: you're liking in Jerry? Go
1: um, ahead.
3: Because yeah. I've never yeah. seen an episode of Parks
1: and Rec in my life. All right, let's go with Jerry Gergich then.
0: All right, and uh, yeah, AKA Larry.
1: Larry or whatever <laughs> numerous other names he's had.
0: Gary, Larry. Jared. All right. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yes, that's correct. And yeah, again, um, each of the first three questions have been either stolen or answered by the specialists. So, uh, off to a good start. All right. Now, Christine and Devin, again, to steal for Marin. Between 1905 and 1992, the national soccer teams of Argentina and Uruguay contested 29 times for a trophy donated by and named for what Glasgow-born tea merchant?
2: I'm not going to be much help overall if we're talking international soccer tests. Should we uh, go
3: through possible Glasgow tea merchant?
2: I mean, I did take a class on Glasgow tea merchants in college, but I don't remember <laughs> most of it. Um, <laughs> uh, I I mean, might as well just pick a name that starts with Mac, because I'm not going to...
3: We'll go with Mackenzie. You want to do that? Let's go with Mackenzie. Sure.
2: All
0: right. You're liking Mackenzie?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: Marin. All right. So it, you said for between 1902 and, uh, was it
0: 1905, sorry, and 1992? 1905
1: and 1992, yes. Hmm. I feel like I should know this as I put soccer down as my specialty, but you know, this is how it goes. Um, so a trophy that they would play for, that would be, I mean, so that would, I guess, predate the Copa America, because um, that started like in, what, 1916 or something like that. So it's a trophy that I'm not, particularly familiar with, but a Glasgow born team merchant who would have been involved in soccer in some way. Um, so I'm trying to think of ang- well, vaguely English anglophone names that would show up in that part of the world. There's a, I mean, there's a soccer team in Argentina called Newell's old boys. Let's go with Newell.
0: All right. Yeah. So this, you know, being in the not all that hard round, it's not uh, it's, it's a fairly familiar name, but uh, none of you kind of um, went for the, the tea part of the question. You know, if you if you go to your uh, local grocery store and look in the tea section, you'll almost, be certain, twinings. <laughs> you'll almost certainly see this name. He was also a big yachting fan. He five times attempted to capture the America's Cup. But the trophy name for him is called the Copa Lipton. Uh, oh, is,
3: uh. <laughs> I never knew he was from Glasgow.
0: Yeah.
1: All right, oh, yeah. it. Right. Yep. There we go.
0: <laughs> yeah, his name was Thomas Lipton, and he was, of course, the founder of Lipton Tea. All right, now for Marin and Devin to steal from Christine. Paul Wittgenstein, the older brother of philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein, left a mark on the world of orchestral music by commissioning several piano concerti from composers like Benjamin Britten, Paul Hindemith, Sergei Prokofiev, Richard Strauss, and perhaps most famously Maurice Ravel. What did all of the piano pieces he commissioned have in common?
1: Well, how are you on classical music?
2: Awful. Uh-huh. Um, But he said, perhaps most famously from Maurice Ravel, and the only thing I know about Ravel is Ravel's Bolero. Um, Yeah, same here. So that would be my guess, is that, now, I don't even know for sure what a Bolero is, but that's where, that's as far as I can get.
1: You know what, that sounds like some pretty, I mean, it's better logic than anything else I could come up with. Anything else would be an even wilder guess, so let's go with your, they're all Boleros, I guess. (laughs)
0: All right. Yeah, I'm not not quite sure how that would work, but um, yeah. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good. Always guess, right? Um, Christine?
3: Um, Well, the fact that this individual was commissioning for a very specific purpose, and the one composer that you mentioned that really kind of raised the flag for me was Ravel, because there is a very famous piece that Ravel wrote, a concerto for piano and orchestra that is written only for the left hand. So I'm going to say that maybe all of these pieces were written for the left hand
0: only. Yeah. So Paul Wittgenstein fighting in World War 1 was injured and his right hand was amputated. Wow. Wow. Uh,
1: <laughs> that is impressive knowledge there.
0: <laughs> Yeah, ironically, even though the Ravel piece is probably the most famous of the ones he uh, commissioned, I don't believe he ever actually performed it. All right. Uh, now, Christine and Marin to steal from Devin. Steve Higgins, a longtime producer on Saturday Night Live, also pulls double duty as announcer and second banana on what other show filmed in the same building?
1: Steve Higgins. What's his role on Saturday Night Live, you said? Longtime producer. Producer, okay. So he's announcer and second banana. Hmm. So a show with a main host of some sort, right?
3: So it's in the same building. Do we know what building Saturday Night Live is in?
1: I believe it's in Rockefeller Center, I would assume. Yeah. Um, so so the they did move The Tonight Show back there, Tonight, if I recall. The Tonight Show
3: is in Rockefeller Center, yes.
1: Yeah, so... so that, I mean,
3: that's the best I could come up with.
1: I like mean, it party. could also be, um, you know, Late Night with Seth Meyers, which I assume is also in the same show as well. Hmm. Because when it comes to a second banana, like, yeah, but is there really, like, a guy who shows up on The Tonight Show and actually, like, banters with him at all? I don't know. Does he, he with Jimmy Fallon. banter with
3: anyone? Anything yeah, because,
1: yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is there? I, I haven't seen enough of Seth Meyers besides the clips because it's way too late at night. So, um, I don't know if he banters with a second banana ever either. So, um, I'm trying to think of anything else we have that, that that we could choose that has, like, a one host leading, uh, you know, in a lead role in an NBC show. I mean, I guess it could also be something that's not necessarily NBC as well. It could be something that's um, you know, in a different network but filmed in the same building too. So,
3: I would say to pick something barely obvious. I don't know.
1: Should we just go with the Tonight Show? Sure. It doesn't sound right to me, but I got okay. I you know, we yeah. could we could talk talk around for for, speak, for a while. I and
3: mean, if you want to say Seth Meyers, that's a little I off don't know. Off the beaten path. You can say that, but I mean, I'm not a TV person at all. <laughs> um, hmm. I'm kind of deferring to you on this,
1: which is a dangerous strategy here because I have no knowledge of this either. But I would say, you know, because both of them were, both of us were on Saturday Night Live, and therefore would have had a relationship with him. Um, should I go for the slightly more obscure one and go for Seth Meyers? Sure, that's fine. Let's go with Late Night with Seth Meyers. Lock it in. Late Night
0: with Seth Me- All right, He locked in Late Night with Seth Meyers, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: Devin. Set Tonight Show. Ah. ah! <laughs> <laughs>
1: I should have thought again, yeah, sorry. That's why it's a dangerous strategy to rely on me here, like
0: I said. And uh, this would have been your bonus if they had gotten it, but do you know who uh, who Steve Higgins' brother is, Devin? No, I don't. Yeah, Dave Higgins, who played Craig on Malcolm in the Middle, is his brother. Oh, Oh. right. Oh, uh, okay. I'm sorry, Christine? Christine.
2: <laughs> I was no, staring very intently at my shoe on the floor, not allowing myself to give away anything as you were talking. You had
0: a really good poker face
3: there. Yeah,
1: yeah
0: I could tell. <laughs> All right, yeah. So Christine and Devin, now to steal from Marin. In a previous episode, I erroneously implied that Finland's Sanna Marin was the first democratically elected world leader who was born later than I was, or who's younger than me, in other words. In fact, Sebastian Kurz was first elected chancellor of Austria in 2017 at age 31, and he regained that position this past January at age 33. So when he regained power in January 2020, Kurz was at the head of an unprecedented coalition between his right-leaning People's Party and a left-leaning party that has, in English, what name? Note that according to Wikipedia, parties with this name, quote, exist in nearly 90 countries around the world.
2: Labor? I mean, I mean labor I just, tends to be left-leaning, and they certainly are a lot of labor parties. I mean, I was
3: thinking socialist, because, I mean, those are in a lot of countries, too
2: yeah or liberal which is also in a lot True. of countries and left-leaning i would any one of those seems as likely as any other to me
3: yeah same here um this is like a picking out of a hat thing
2: yeah i mean so he did say left-leaning socialist yeah, to me yeah. would be more than would be left not left-leaning i'm thinking so i'm feeling like it might be either labor or liberal
3: okay uh, well we've we've narrowed it down slightly
2: okay so i've narrowed it down to two now you get to pick
3: Oh, okay. I will go with um, 90 countries. That's a lot to have this party. And I think I'm going to go with labor. Okay, Well, that's it. We'll lock in labor. Lock it it
1: in. in. All right. Marin. I was really hoping once this question started that you'd be asking for Sebastian Kurtz, because that I could have given you with no problem. However, who he was in coalition with that time? It's left-leaning in a lot of countries, which leads me to think if it's not labor either the greens or the social democrats um those are fairly common in various forms although it i mean as you mentioned it was a bit of a strange coalition so given his right wing leaning it would be strange for the greens to be propping him up but i don't know what the would be social democrats below him too i don't know yeah i'm gonna go with the green party Let's go for it. All right.
0: Yeah. So the global green movement has um, has made a lot of strange bedfellows with its concerns for environmental issues. It's somewhat left-leaning but also somewhat centrist. And yeah, in Austria, they are part of the ruling coalition now. So green is correct. Okay. All right. And now going to Marin and Devin trying to steal from Christine she's winning. <laughs> so, Kovanchina, a 1960 Soviet film directed by Vera straeva and adapted from the Modest muzorsky opera of that name, was the rare Soviet movie to earn an Academy Award nomination, specifically it garnered a nomination for best scoring of a musical picture for what major Soviet composer?
2: Um, can you say the name of the I'm sorry, the date of the movie again? Uh,
0: 1960. I think in the US it was eligibility year
2: 1961. Sure. Um, Prokofiev is what stands out to me. I know that he was active at the time. Thank you, Billy Joel. Um, hmm.
0: Yeah,
1: I've got... Actually, you know, that you sounds know. like a pretty darn good guess. I mean, I guess... Although, again, so it was named after an opera of the same name, but not necessarily with yeah, the same music like I gather. Right.
2: Otherwise, they wouldn't have...
1: Yeah. <laughs> Unless if it's designed to be obvious enough to have given for that to be the answer, which I doubt it. So, um, yeah, I think Prokofiev is, is probably is as good a guess as, as, as i could come up with as well so i got nothing better than that cool let's go with that
0: <laughs> yeah so I, I think i think both prokofiev and joseph stalin are mentioned in we didn't start the fire <laughs> making reference to the odd fact that they actually both died on the exact same day um so they both died in 1953 oh uh, ah. yeah, so Pro- prokofiev was a, would be a bit early for this um, yep christine
3: well, when I hear Soviet composer, I pretty much only have one name come to mind. I mean, I guess, obviously, there are other Soviet composers, but the one that stands out the most to me that I usually think of is Shostakovich. So that's going to be my guess on that one.
0: Yeah, so Mussorgsky, uh, I think, died fairly, or with a lot of work left unfinished, and other composers adapted his work. And so the versions we hear now are, are often reworked by others. Kovanshina was famously reworked by Dmitry Shostakovich. So Thank you. <laughs> No plate. <laughs> All right. And the last question of this round now goes to Christian and Marin to steal from Devin. On an episode of Parks and Recreation, Leslie Nope asks a representative from the Pawnee Restaurant Association why a certain soda is labeled child size, only to be told it's roughly the size of a two year old child if the child were liquefied. So, what perfect cube number represents the size in ounces of Pawnee's child size soda? Quote unquote. So,
1: you said you haven't seen this, uh, this show before? I've never seen this show before.
0: All right, so, so I'll just,
1: I guess I'll, I'll monologue this one through. If I recall, I believe that Paunch Burger offers, as a child size, 256 ounces. I'm going to go
0: with that. You're liking 256? Yes. All right, Devin?
2: Um, well, if that was going to be my answer, too. So, if that is, uh, if that is not... Right then, we will. Um, I mean, I, I really thought was, I, so. I'll, I'll go with uh, I'll go with five hundred and twelve then. But
0: I, I did say it was a a perfect cube. Two hundred sixty six. <laughs> Being
3: you locked it in too fast.
1: <laughs> oh no! Thank <Dang>. you. <laughs> That's right. I forgot the cube part. I only I heard square in my head. Oh no!
3: <laughs> I, I I would have shot at this.
0: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 256 as 2 to the 8th. It would not be a perfect yeah. cube. Yep, yep, it's a is square, it, not a cube. Is it
3: 343?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is, in fact, 512. Ah, uh, oh. crap. <laughs> it,
2: I feel any better. I didn't hear cube. I heard square as well, so... Yeah, <laughs> was, and... Thank oh, you. Man. The false steal. I appreciate it.
1: I am... I'm so sorry. Again, okay. I've led you astray, Christine. I'm a bad that's teammate okay. here. Uh, uh,
3: that's all right. Alright, so
0: I like on Seth Myers. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Alright, so I'll try to myself next round. Go on, <laughs> sorry. Alright, so that brings us to the end of this round and I believe the scores I'll recheck everything when this is over, but I believe the scores are Marin three point three, Christine seven point one, and Devin four point two. But the point values will be going up in this round. So now the only somewhat hard round, each question will be worth four points as a steal and three points as a specialist. So potential for a lot bigger swings. So um, Christine's read right now, that could change very quickly.
2: So let's steal all Christine's composer questions, which I totally will yep. not
0: yeah. <laughs> same with me. <laughs> all right. So now Christine and Devin to steal from Marilyn, and this will start with a quote. I should be the proudest dad in the world, as happy as a lark by what he's achieved. But I am ashamed of him. I can't even bring myself to use his name. I refer to him as the ex-footballer. He's put himself first, and all he cares about is his TV punditry and opening swanky hotels in Manchester. Now when I see him on TV, I switch off, all the family do. He is my son, and it brings me close to tears to say that my family don't respect him and look up to him. As the eldest, he should have been watching his brother's back, not stabbing him in it. He cheated in the worst possible way and is not man enough to apologize for it. So spoke the father of what former star soccer player after that player was named manager of the Welsh national team in January 2018. The comment was prompted by a scandal in which it was revealed that this player had been carrying on an affair with his brother's wife for eight years. Well, (laughs) do you have any thoughts?
3: No, I think this is one of those just uh, give a random line. All right, well,
2: at first it sounded, I mean... it did sound like it was, you know, something that someone who transcends the game would do, which would be Beckham. But I don't I think I heard about Beckham yeah. cheating on. So yeah. maybe Rooney. He's another big name over there. OK. And, and I think he played for Manchester as well. So
3: you've already gone past my knowledge of soccer stars. So All right. So ahead.
2: let's let's try Rooney.
0: All right, yeah, good guess. I'm not sure if he's Welsh, though, but um, Marin. Yeah, uh, I mean, he did name two, two Manchester United players who both played
1: with the, the, the person in question. But, yes, this in- infamous brotherly treachery is the work of Ryan Giggs.
0: Yep, Ryan Giggs cheated with the uh, wife of his brother, Rodri Giggs. That's correct. Give us a hundred guesses. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now um, Marin and Devin trying to steal from Christine. Although it has been independently set to music by many composers, including Gustav Holtz and Benjamin Britten, it was Harold Dark's 1911 setting of What Christmas Carol, based on an 1872 poem by Christina Rossetti, that topped a 2008 experts poll in BBC Music Magazine as the greatest Christmas carol of all time. This song shares its title with both a 2002 mystery novel by Julia Spencer Fleming and a 1995 black-and-white film directed by Kenneth Branagh. Hmm...
1: Let's try to think of Christmas carol titles that could be both of those things.
2: (laughs) Right. So, sorry, can you say the name of the person that originally wrote it before it was set to
0: music? It was based on a poem. The poem, I think, was published as just A Christmas Carol, but it was by Christina Rossetti.
2: Okay. My guess is Oh Holy Night, which feels like it could be those things. And I know that was written written by a female abolitionist, uh, sort of... protest slavery so uh the timeline works and the fact that it's a woman's name works and that sounds like something that could have been a kenneth Branagh movie which i feel like i should know um so that that's my guess and my reasoning if you that's have some some very- guess, i am open to it because that is all guesses
1: that's some that's some very good reasoning i have to say um because i did not know any of that backstory um, so i'm learning something here I guess we can rifle off some names first, just to just to see if there's anything that rings a bell. Silent night, Um, come all ye faithful. Um, And was that written? So it was written as a poem originally, um, as far as you know. Yes.
3: No.
1: uh, And uh, but uh, but um, O Holy Night was written originally as a poem.
2: Oh, um, this I don't know. (laughs) I just know that it was written uh, that it was written by a woman, a female abolitionist. It could have been written as a poem. It, it, yeah. it fits the meter, works as a poem. But. Yeah, I think, you
1: know what, I I, I see no reason to uh, to overrule that. That's some pretty sound logic. I'll, I'll
0: defer
2: to you on that. Sure. I, I don't know that we're right, but let's go with it.
0: Are you liking an O Holy Night? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Christine?
3: Um, There's, I know nothing about anything to do with your Kenneth Branagh film or anything like that, but the Christina Rossetti poem that became A Christmas Carol the end of it is very uh, last verse very famous they're saying what shall i give him as poor as i am if i were a shepherd i would bring him a lamb and ends with i'll bring him my heart but the beginning of the um, beginning of the poem is in the bleak midwinter and that's the title of the carol
0: yeah so the kenneth brown movie was i think released in the u.s as a midwinter tale but its original uk title was as you said in the bleak mid mid in the bleak midwinter so that's correct yes all right I don't know why I had difficulty mounting that. All right, next go to Christine and Marin to steal from Devin. So, which, in the words of NME, quote... Avril Levine Wannabe, end quote, released the 2005 album Finally Out of P.E. and landed one of its songs on the soundtrack of Barbie and the Magic of Pegasus before making the wise decision to switch up her career focus and become an Oscar-winning star of blockbuster movies. In an interview from that earlier era with Cindy with an S from the website Kids World with a Z, which is still around somehow, she described her musical influences as, quote, Maroon Five, Gwen Stefani, The Clash, Kanye West—just a lot of different artists. End quote.
3: Okay, what year was? Did you say? Did you say a year of her album?
0: The album 2005? was 2005. 2005,
3: yes. Okay. I a P. Okay. So if she was a teenage, probably a teenager then, it might put her around 30 or so now. But you said an Oscar. Oscar winner. winner. Yeah. Oscar winner.
1: That's an actress. He's uh, right. He he said something to the effect of changed career yeah. and focused on acting. Um, first, wow.
3: The first one that came to mind was Scarlett Johansson. Is mm. she is at the right age? I forget around.
0: I mean, she's at
1: that under- point. She was she already acting. I would want to say she was already because like Lost in yeah Lost in Translation was when was that? Okay. I mean that wasn't actually that would have been a little bit later than that, right? But not by too much. Well, she may have
3: pivoted pretty quickly. Very
1: yeah. quickly, yeah. I suppose. I mean was Bree Larson ever um, a uh, it's Bree think...
3: Larson it's Brie Larson.
1: Yeah. That's that's it's what a... that's what the name that came to, to mind let's, for me. L-
3: let's lock it in. Yeah. All right.
1: Uh Bree Larson. Here we go. You're
0: locking in Bree Larson? Yes. Yeah, so yes, she did sing in, in a few of her roles, I think, as, as Envy Adams and Scott Pilgrim, for instance. But for the most part, she's focused on acting as, as Captain Marvel in a couple of the highest-grossing films of 2019. And yeah, she won her her Oscar, uh, I think, 2000, well, for The Room, which came out in 2015. So yes, that's correct.
2: Not The Room, just Room. The Room is very different.
0: Yeah. <laughs> somehow, I, I know that, but I somehow keep making the same mistake. It was Room. The Room is a very different movie. Which won someone else Oscars in a different way, but yeah. <laughs> and
1: Christine, that was my attempt to... Bringing up her name with my attempt to, to make amends for my terrible performance in round one there.
3: Oh, no, it's great. <laughs> All good.
0: All right, so this next one goes to Christine and Devin trying to steal from Marin. The 1995 Mario Van Peebles film Panther, about the history of the Black Panther Party, featured as its main theme, Freedom, theme from Panther... Now, Wikipedia lists 58 different black female artists or groups of that era, most specializing in either hip-hop or R&B, who are credited as contributing to that track. Name any two of those acts. So by act, I mean either an artist or a group.
2: Wait, sorry. So Wikipedia named 58 female acts? Yes. That contributed to Panther the, from the Mariva People's Movie in
0: 1995? Yes. Freedom theme from Panther, yes. Okay. Okay. Um,
3: so who was popular? I mean, who were some artists from 1995 that would fit the category?
2: En uh, Vogue. En um, Vogue. SWV. Sisters with Voices. Mary Mary was around then. Um, TLC okay, got T-L-S-C- bigger later, but they were around. Salt and Pepper was still around. MC Light was there, um, but I don't know if it was rap or R&B. Um, uh, I mean.
3: We got the individuals. I mean,
2: I mean, yeah. If you're talking about individual people, then Whitney Houston was still around. Then Mara Janet Karen
3: Jackson was still around.
2: Janet Jackson was around. Um, then,
3: uh, and then the some of the so older ones were you know, still. Yeah. Sure.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean. Yeah. Exactly. Like um, Dionne Warwick and Diana Ross were still. Aretha Franklin. Performing Aretha Franklin was still there. So um, the answer is there's a lot.
3: So. And we, we have to get how many.
2: Two. two. Can we have ten guesses to get the two? <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So um I mean I, I have no idea. I have no reason to pick one over the other. I'm trying I'm I'm trying to like think of like anyone who may have actually been associated with the Black Panther movement. Um and then, you know, because I just keep thinking, like, you know, how Mahalia Jackson was, but she was more tied to Martin Luther King. Um,
3: Anybody that was activist.
2: I mean, I'm sure, I don't know if Yogesh is going to read off all 58, but I'm sure when I look this up later, I'll go, oh, my God, them too? Uh, let's... We can
3: pick somebody, somebody older and somebody younger. You know, Great. As of 1995. I was
2: thinking uh, Aretha Franklin and Envote.
3: Okay, go for it. Lock it in.
2: Cool.
0: Aretha Franklin and En Vogue. All right, Marin.
1: All right. Um, hmm. This is going to be another a similar strategy for me in terms of guessing because um, I'm not familiar with this song question here. But um, I mean, I was thinking about a lot of the same a lot of similar names that you were saying out there. So I'm going to go just with pick
3: from our list.
1: I mean, yeah, I, I will pick at least one from from the list for sure. Um, let's go with Queen Latifah and Salt and Peppa.
0: All right, so, um, yeah, uh, Devin, when you started off, you rattle off a bunch of names that would have been correct, even ones I hadn't heard of before. I wasn't familiar with SWV or MC Light, uh, but those <laughs> cool. are cool. Um, yeah, and Vogue is on there, Aaliyah, Vanessa Williams, TLC. So,
2: um, on, on yeah. The, the young.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to read off the whole list, obviously, but um, yeah, Monica, a few other names I recognized, and Queen Latifah and salt and Pepper. That's what you said, Merlin, right? Yes, that's correct. Those are both on there. So oh, good job. Yeah. All right. Yeah, there have been a bunch of bonus questions, but yeah, none of, none of the questions that have gotten stolen have been the ones that bonuses are with. All right. Now, um, Marin and Devin, to steal from Christine now. The so-called Raid of Ruthven, R-U-T-H-V-E-N, was a conspiracy in which what future British monarch was kidnapped and held hostage for nearly a year by Presbyterian nobles who feared the influence of his quote-unquote favorite which in this case meant gay lover, the Duke of Lennox, who was Catholic.
2: Yeah, Maren, I agree. You should take this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, how about that?
1: I, I don't know where to start with this. Sounds old. Let's let's start with that. All
2: right. Well, um, so let's well, go back has,
1: to the 1700s or before, I would guess. But well, was, um,
2: It has to be post-Henry VIII, right? Because that's when they split. Yeah, so.
1: true. Sometime in that range. Let's see. Could it be one of the Jameses perhaps? Maybe James but James the First have been um my wait, so it's a raid by Presbyterian, you said? Yes. Um, okay.
2: Yeah. So the love the lover was Catholic, but they were already Presbyterian. Um mm. my uh my British history is mostly focused on Welsh <sighs> soccer coaches and glass Yeah. <laughs> So um
1: I have a vague inclination that was was did James the First come from Scotland originally, or am I making that up?
2: The James yeah, no that I did. The Jameses were Scotch, yeah. And, yeah.
1: So that, that's what's leading me there with a the Presbyterian connection, perhaps. Um I've got no real basis beyond that for guessing James the let's go with I mean, I would think James the First, but it could really be I, I don't
0: know. I've got Yeah. I'm with you. Alright, let's lock in James the First. Alright. Do you know it, Christine?
3: Oh yeah, it was James the first.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: this nice. was just, Woohoo! My <laughs> well, my irrational logic works. I worked. had
3: to <laughs> tilt the angle of my camera so y'all could because I have the worst poker face in the history of ever.
2: Honestly, I was feeling good about it as soon as you tilted it. I was like, well, yeah. Oh. <laughs>
1: I thought that might be the case too, but I was like, oh, it's either James the first or James the second, and I can't tell now because then okay, she's so either so doing that. <laughs>
3: poker face horrible, but my strategy is even worse. <laughs> so I just gave it to you but, oh. <laughs> that's
2: okay. Well, I think this is the first one we've stolen from you. So don't yeah, feel that yeah. so
3: I, I'm, I'm, next time I'm just tilting my camera as soon as he starts reading the question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well that kind of defeats the purpose of proctoring you with the camera, but um Well I've got to right. do
3: something. Come with no poker face. If you focus <laughs> it on
2: your hands he can proctor
0: you. You can just okay, go like this. I'll
3: just, my hand in front of my face there
0: we yeah. go uh, but not touching my face, <laughs> touch yeah. Your face. Right, right yeah yeah no no touch no no face touching at this point but yeah before I, I hit upon realizing i could deactivate my own camera i did spend a lot of time with both my hands in front of my face <laughs> all right so now uh, christine and Marin to steal from devon this again starts with a quote mr madison what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard at no point in your rambling incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. See, Devin was mouthing that long that quote <laughs> So this, this immortal, this, this immortal dialogue, which uh, often ran through my head during graduate seminars. Oh, wait, did I say that out loud? <laughs> It was delivered by what actor and former Saturday Night Live head writer in the 1995 film Billy Madison? This man has been overshadowed for most <sighs> by his nephew, who was briefly an SNL cast member in the 80s and went on to multiple Oscar nominations and major film roles. Okay, who plays that principal in Billy Madison?
3: <laughs> I don't know. I've heard this quoted so many times, but I don't <laughs> know the source of it.
1: Oh, I can picture the scene entirely. I'm just trying to... It's been so long since I've seen the movie. So who had a nephew who was... <sighs> gone on to Oscar-related roles, who was on SNL back in the, back then, back in the 80s, SNL alone's who went on to be so-called respectable actors? Hmm. Dang it. I was hoping the question would be, like, what is, you know, what was that an attempt to describe, which would be the Industrial Revolution? But, um... But uh, unfortunately, was not the question. Oh, man, what's his So,
2: Puppy was a dog.
1: <laughs> but industry was a revolution. Oh, man. Good times, but... Oh, I'm sorry,
3: I have no... Context. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie. I right. don't know anything about Saturday Night Live, so I'm, you yeah. know...
1: And you say multiple Oscar wins or nominations in the question? Nominations multiple nominations okay
3: so the actor we're trying to name has the oscar nomination uh, or- his, his
1: nephew does right the nephew even though but he was briefly on snl in the 80s um, as well so
3: wow.
1: so former comedians who became who have won like a lot of um, multiple oscar nominations um Hanks think of.
3: was he ever on snl
1: not that I know of, but there were a lot of there were a lot of famous people who were briefly on SNL back in the um back in the He's 80s. Yeah, he, but I feel first, like he would have also said win, perhaps.
3: Comedy. well, true.
1: I feel like he probably would have said wins though, if, if he was referring to Tom Hanks, unless if that's uh, I mean, it's not necessary. But he, I feel like he would have mentioned Oscar wins. Um,
3: I, I'm better with the winners than I am with the nominees, which isn't saying much.
1: Oh man, it's tough. And I'm gonna know this once I hear it, but um. I don't believe Steve Carell ever made it onto SNL. He he only auditioned, if, if I recall. Um, and he didn't
3: get nominated for an Oscar, did he?
1: I believe he did for um,
3: at least for Foxcatcher. I think
1: I could um, be wrong, okay. but, not, but well, um, well. not that I know of yet. Yeah, good point.
3: Um, did Bill Murray ever go into something serious to get an Oscar nominated? He was on. Early yeah,
1: early. but I, but I wouldn't consider him like the yeah the a brief someone who was briefly on in the eighties oh, he here. He
3: was a, he was a staple of Saturday Night Live. Yeah
1: yeah um serious former comedians here i don't know i'm that really took a turn i really was sure i was gonna know the questions once he started reading out that quote but uh but i'm stuck on this let's go with
3: oh god okay. i know there's a
1: lot of this dead air is making for great podcast i'm sure. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: It's like when you don't even know a good yeah, guess. Like, I don't know a good guess either.
1: I could I mean I could spend five minutes thinking about it, but it's probably against the spirit of the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, who wants to nominate for many Oscars? Um
3: I don't know what to say at this point.
1: <laughs> let's just go with I don't know. Uh I don't know. I wanna just because I want to live in a world where John Lovitz wins Oscars, I guess we could name him, but uh, okay. I don't think that's accurate. So let's go with something that's a, be- a generic name. What generic name should we put? I'll, I'll leave you. How about Williams or well, something like that? Okay,
3: go with that. We've already had Smith be a correct answer, so yeah. that's, we'll take that one out. So
0: just
1: Let's go with in. Williams. Okay, Lock, it in.
3: Okay.
1: Okay. Lock it in. Sorry, I Fine. wasted a lot of time there. <laughs>
0: I mean, we're actually on... Yeah, we're not behind scheduling because you, you guys zoomed through that first round or the 3 yards round really quickly. Yeah, and anything that's just silence will get cut out in the edit anyway, so... Um, but yeah, I, that's. trying to remember, Yeah, I'm trying to remember if there ever was a Williams on SNL, possibly. But anyway, uh, Devin?
2: Okay, so SNL cast members who were nominated for Oscars is a fun little trivia subcategory. <laughs> it's how I remember that Randy Quaid was nominated for an Oscar, of all people. What? Also, how I remember that Joan Cusack was on SNL. Um, But you're asking for the the actor who gives the line, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm hoping, I don't know who the actor is, but I'm hoping that he has the same last name as the person who I think is his nephew, based on the clues. And I'm going to go with Downey. Yeah,
0: so I also I like to remember the kind of the, the SNL cast members with Oscar nominations, and yeah, that's a small group. Bill Murray's in there, Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, but oddly three of them were just on SNL in that sort of um, odd duck 11th season. Randy Quaid, Joan Cusack, and Robert Downey Jr., um, and his... Well uh yeah, his uncle Jim Downey was the head writer, and the speaker not of that dialogue. Excellent. And I yeah. did
2: not, but I learned something. I had no idea that that guy was Robert Downey Jr.'s uncle. I just knew yeah. him as the guy who said an <laughs> iconic line.
3: That's impressive, though. I'll have to say.
0: Yeah, and uh, Brie Larson, not the only MCU cast member who uh, is being tested knowledge, whose knowledge of whom <laughs> is being tested today. All right, now Christina. for coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Christine and Devin to steal from Marin In February 2020, country singer Lauren Elena and what soccer player were named brand ambassadors for Flight, a new light beer from Jungling? At the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup, the not-quite-appropriately-named Lucy Bronze was awarded the silver ball, while this player got the bronze ball.
2: Um, so this is combining country music, light beer, and soccer, which made, <laughs> um really out. <laughs>
3: The only one of those three I know is country music, and he already gave us that part. So. Yeah.
2: Um, um, I mean, I'm guessing it's someone on the U.S. women's national team.
3: Did you specify it was a woman? Is
0: yes.
2: He is that, it is okay. a woman.
3: Okay. Yeah.
2: Um, I mean...
3: Can we name...
2: Meg Turapino is the one who, you know, really showed up, sure. uh, really became yeah. famous in the... Uh,
3: well, she'd be um, like kind of the, the MVP type, so... It's going to be somebody lower ranked than her.
2: Wait, is it? I thought they were saying someone won the...
3: said who's won the bronze.
0: So the... Yes, yeah, so I, said, I said she won the bronze ball, which is essentially the runner-up to the runner-up for the tournament MVP.
2: Right. Yeah. But, but so Megan Rapino didn't win the the silver ball, right? So that, well, that would, was my she, guess.
3: I thought she was the MVP. Is she not?
0: Who, who did you say won the silver ball? The silver ball was won by Lucy Bronze, appropriately enough. I didn't say who won the golden ball.
3: Oh, who didn't?
2: Who won the gold? Oh, gotcha. Um, I, I mean, I don't know anyone other. I mean, yeah, Abby, that's
3: the only name I know. It's associated with student, the women.
2: Yeah, I mean, Abby Wambach, I don't think plays anymore. And Hope Solo wasn't going to win anything because everyone's mad at her. And I, I would, I would guess you working know, but I don't. Um, unless it's Tobin Heath. But I don't. Um, my my guess would be Rapinoe. You know, if but I go ahead, go ahead and say really it even Wade because I don't MVP. know.
3: Even though I'm sure she was the MVP, but go ahead and say it anyway. Oh,
2: if you're sure she's the MVP, if you're sure she's the MVP, then we will. Then we'll let's go with Tobin Heap. She's someone well, else on the I'm team. Not,
3: I'm not. I mean, you're making me doubt everything now, so I don't know. <laughs> this is not. I mean, I'm just not a sports person all at right. all. That's all just right. that's the, that's the name that was most in the news, you know.
2: Right. Let's go with it because. If it's someone else and we're wrong, then we'll feel okay. But if it's her and we're wrong, then we'll feel bad.
3: Okay. I like the logic. Go ahead.
2: Megan Rapinoe. All
0: right. You're in Megan Rapinoe?
3: Yeah.
0: Merit? Yeah. Okay. So,
1: went out of two for me. I think the scoring title was very close between, I think, Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe, but that would be for the, the golden boot. Um, and I think it, I'm forgetting, it went to one of them. I think it may have gone to um, Alex Morgan and Tyberger. So, I think she won in the scoring side. But I think... The bronze ball, if I recall, I remember Rose Lavelle had a very strong tournament for the U.S., and part of me wants to say that she would have been the one to get the bronze ball, so I'm going to lock in Rose Lavelle.
0: Yeah, I, I, there was a similar question asked, I think, at, at Learned League Live once, and I'd I, like you, I remember Rapinoe and Morgan both competing for the Golden Boots, so I figured those would have to be the two most honored ones. But uh, the bronze ball for the tournament actually went to the woman who scored the U.S.'s second goal in the final, Rose Lavelle. Woohoo! Again, could have had a hundred guesses. All right. Did you play the Washington spirit now. All right. Now, Marin and Devin to steal from Christine. So fill Ooh. in the blank. In <laughs> the hand going up in front of the face right away. Fill it in the blank in Mark 5, 9. I'm using the NIV translation here, although, again, it doesn't make a huge difference. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is blank, he replied, for we are many. This particular verse has left a strong imprint on pop culture, inspiring both a 1983 William Peter Blatty novel, later adapted into the 1990 film The Exorcist III, which many consider the best entry in the Exorcist series, and also inspiring the creation of an anti-hero in the X-Men universe who is the son of Professor X and was the main character on the late 2010 FX TV series. We are Legion. <laughs> was it from the uh, X-Men thing that got you there? Or the oh, we didn't lock it in. I <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah,
1: um, I'm. I was not going to come up with the way you said that with such confidence. I'm going to defer to you 100% there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um,
2: yeah, I knew it actually back in the back in the day in the 90s books, not just the, although the TV show is great, but also I just know the phrase "We are
0: Legion." Yeah, sorry, I should have waited for you to lock it in before uh, before confirming, but yes, my name is Legion, for we are many, is the the quote being the garrison demon. It's the same story appears, I think, in three of the Gospels, but Mark is the one that has that quote that everyone remembers. Well done. Thank you for letting me ride your coattails to those points there.
2: That's okay. You got James one. (laughs) Teamwork. We're just making sure Christine doesn't run away with this too
0: much. All right, and now, okay, for the last question of this round before we go on to the super hard round. In Three... Okay, for this, is sorry, uh, Christine and Marin to steal from Devin. In Three Men and a Baby, the highest grossing 1987 film at the domestic box office, Tom Selleck's character is named Peter Mitchell. Peter Mitchell is also the name of the protagonist of what film that was the domestic box office champ from the previous year, 1986?
1: 1986... 1986. Wait, Peter Mitchell was the. Uh, the. You said the. Can you repeat? Peter Mitchell was the name of the what? So, in the
0: 1987 uh, highest grossing mm-hmm. film of the domestic box office, Three mm-hmm. Men and a Baby, Peter Mitchell was Tom Selleck's character. Peter Mitchell is also the name of the protagonist, just by coincidence, of mm-hmm. what film was the highest Okay. Yeah, highest grossing mm-hmm. domestic box office film of 1986.
1: Uh, trying to think of 1980s big movies with male protagonists. Was Top Gun 1986?
3: Yeah, but that's not – there's no Peter Mitchell, unless that was his real name. What is Maverick's real name? I don't know.
1: I don't know Maverick's real name either. I've never – I don't think I've ever actually watched the movie. Um, I have, so, it's been
3: – I mean, it's been probably 20 years ago, so.
1: Unless if it's, like uh,
3: – Could there have been a – I mean, it, it, Top Gun was definitely 1986, and that was would have been a really high-grossing movie.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else could have been bigger than that in 1986 with a male main character whose actual name I don't know. I don't know if there's, like, a big comedy blockbuster from that movie, but I can't think of one right now.
3: Um, I really feel like, I feel like Top Guns are best bet.
1: Uh, All right. Shall we lock it in? Yeah,
3: let's lock it in.
1: Let's lock in Top Gun. All right. Kevin,
2: do you know? Um, I have a guess. Uh, I think it's a pretty good guess. Maron was asking what's bigger than Top Gun. Is the answer big?
0: I think actually uh, a couple years later, 1988, Uh, Peter Mitchell was in fact the not-that-commonly-known name of Maverick from Top Gun.
1: Okay. We got it! Yes.
0: Good, good. Right, yeah, and this is the first time I can recall getting all the way through the first two rounds without a single bonus. There have been several, but none of them lined up with the questions that were stolen. But uh, at the end of this round, actually, the scores are Marin 28.3. Christine, 18.1. Devin,
2: 15.2. Wow. Wait, Marin is 28?
0: Wow. Yeah. I, I, I'll go back and recheck everything, but I think that's right. Yeah. Well, if it's not, I'll just read over that okay. part. How many uh, points
1: was that per, uh, per uh, question there, by the way?
0: So that was for the stealing was for four points, and for getting it as a specialist, three points. Oh, three points. Okay. Yeah. Then, yeah, that makes sense. All right, now we'll move into the super-hard round. So these are the hardest questions of the game, and the questions will now be worth six points as a steal and five points as a special. And we'll start with Christine and Devin trying to steal for Marin. So, yeah. So we've already mentioned multiple Man U stars so far, so now we're going to mention another. Speaking of Manchester United stars, Eric Cantona led the French national team to victory in the 2005 World Cup in what specific sport? Wait, I'm sorry. Can you read that one more time? Yeah. Eric Cantona led the French national team to victory in the 2005 World Cup in what specific sport?
3: Okay, what sports have World Cups Um, that French people play?
0: I
2: was about to say baseball does, but no, it ain't that. Um, I know that... All right, so here's my guess. So 2005 was long enough ago because I know that New Zealand had won three in a row before last year, but that would have meant no that wouldn't be i don't know what those dates line i was gonna say the specific sport made me think it might be rugby union but yeah but maybe it's rugby league because rugby union i think just had theirs World cup in 2019 um and so maybe rugby league goes two years so that would have been 03 and 07 with that timing but maybe rugby league does there in the opposite that's my guess because i know Le Bleu, like they they play that and that's the only thing that i think of that france team sport that france competes internationally at really other than soccer
0: okay do it lock it in rugby league all right locking in rugby league all right amaran <sighs> so i'm gonna try
1: to get to this by thinking about how eric canton is a very interesting and weird man and choose some offbeat pursuits so that's gonna guide my guessing here i mean not to mention the fact that I believe he played the Comte de Foix in uh, Elizabeth, the film, after he retired from, from Man U, And also famously was banned for like six months for jump kicking a fan. Um, but uh, along with that very offbeat nature, I can see him doing something that seems more like fun, but still within his skill set. And FIFA does have World Cups for some weird soccer variants. The two that seem possible to me are Futsal, like the small indoor soccer style game and beach soccer, and I don't know, it just seems like beach soccer seems like an Eric Cantona thing to do. So, Milwaukee in beach soccer.
0: All right, yeah, and there, there's not much for me to add. Your, your logic was exactly right, and it is beach soccer. And, and his bleed extends. Yeah. yeah, I did see the thing in, in the Wikipedia article, I did note the thing about him having a role in Elizabeth. Might have made an interesting crossover with uh, one of Christine's areas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So now Marin and Devin to steal from Christine. The key of blank occupies a peculiar position in Beethoven's compositions. The pieces for which he has employed it are, with very few exceptions, remarkable for their beauty and importance. So wrote George Grove, the founding editor of Grove's Dictionary of Music and Musicians, about what key associated with turbulence and storminess. Among Beethoven's works in this key are his Piano Sonata Number 8, Opus 13, better known as Pathétique, and, most famously, his Fifth Symphony.
1: All right, so his Fifth is... It's in minor key of some it's, sort, it's, so it can,
2: it's something minor. That's a something
1: minor, so that narrows it down to a, <laughs> a limited number of options. Um, A minor is a thing, from what I understand. That's that's an option. <laughs> We're not good at this, are it's we? Um, yeah. uh,
2: I've heard of the things that he has asked about, yes, oh. so have I. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know why E minor is jumping into my head. I don't E even...
1: minor's also potentially there too, yeah. Those yeah. are the two I was thinking about, where A minor and E minor. For whatever reason, I have no idea. You you pick a vowel. Oh no. <laughs> the pressure's on me here.
2: I mean uh, I pick a vowel. You want me to pick a vowel? But you're just winning by so much.
1: <laughs> um, but you can get you know, put put some distance between you and Christine if you if you get this too, and, and then oh, you yeah. guys can team up against me.
2: I'm just banking on, you know, how knowledgeable you are at all things because you're winning by so much so i am
1: i am not knowledgeable about about many things and among those many things is classical music um i think you know you can be, you t- you brought me over to your side with the e minor so with E minor e minor here we go
0: locked in all right excellent deployment of the hand in front of the face from christine
3: oh <laughs> okay i am so relieved that y'all didn't decide just to average out your answers Because I am a pianist. That is my subspecialty. I teach piano. I've taught piano ever since I graduated from high school. Um, In seventh grade, I entered a piano competition and lost. But the piece that I played very badly was the Beethoven Pathetique Sonata, which I later then relearned and improved and played a few years ago in a recital at the community college. And it was the Pathetique Sonata, which is in C minor.
2: Uh, I was really hoping you'd give us that whole story, and then not know the answer. That'd be really
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one of my uh, all-time favorite movie scenes from the uh, obscure 1940s James Mason movie, *The Seventh Veil*. Heavily features the Pathetique Sonata, so I've always had a felt a connection to that piece of music. All right, so Christine, obviously correct, and now Christine and Marin to steal from Devon. So I've mentioned in at least two prior episodes, the Portland shot film Leave No Trace, which has more uniformly positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes than any film that's not Paddington 2.
2: Paddington so, 2 is so good. I just want to <laughs> point that out. Sorry to interrupt.
0: <laughs> it, it is definitely an above average film, yes. So Deborah Granick, who directed Leave No Trace, is probably best known for Winter's Bone, the 2010 film that made a star of Jennifer Lawrence. But before that, she made a 2004 film with a coincidentally similar title that also boosted the career of its leading lady. So that actress has since done many prestige films and even got an Oscar nomination and a 2019 Emmy nomination. But Wikipedia labels her a Scream Queen due to starring in multiple profitable horror films. However, perhaps the real Scream Queen in the family is her more than two decades younger sister, who has played three different characters on American Horror Story. Name her.
3: That was like a domino. There's some layers yeah.
0: there. <laughs> a lot of layers. <laughs> um
3: Uh, I guess I'd ask you if you've seen American Horror Story. No, I recently, I think at a
1: quiz night, I was asked a question involving someone who's acted on that show, and I do not remember who that was. So this is of no help, and I don't know why I'm saying it now. (laughs) Okay. Um, God, this is very difficult. Um, So what, what random last name would you like to choose if you don't have anything else? I'll leave that up to you here.
3: Oh, me. An actress from American Horror Story who has a sister who...
1: Who has been nominated for an Oscar, right? Yes. Okay.
3: Nominated. uh, It didn't say if she's won. Right. And Devin's just over there dying because he knows it. I actually don't. (laughs) 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 He's lying now. (laughs) Um, So, okay. So a, a film similar to Winter's Bone. I just said but that that, I... was a two, that was a
1: 2004 movie, not the one that she was nominated for. Yeah. Right,
3: right. And I just I just said the title was
0: similar to Winter's Bone. Right,
3: a title a title similar to Winter's Bone and that movie launched the career of an actress who later became Oscar nominated, but she has a sister
0: who's been in an American horror story.
1: I what other season what seasonally named uh, movies were in 2004?
0: I also said that her sister is more than 2 decades more younger. More than 2
1: decades younger, yeah. <laughs>
0: So
3: what actresses have a sister that is much younger?
1: It could be a a half-sister, perhaps, I guess. Um, Yeah. So movies of 2004. I'm trying to think of just like any sisters of that big of an age gap who are in Hollywood. Perhaps people with the same famous Hollywood father. Winter, summer, spring, fall.
3: Now I'm wanting to sing You've Got a Friend.
1: (laughs) I'm glad to inspire you <laughs> um i've got very little to work with here unfortunately i'm other winter sorry, title
0: movies you
3: know, uh, i cannot even think of a 2004 movie
0: yeah the other thing i mentioned that you haven't uh, quite picked up on yet was that this actress has been in many profitable horror movies
1: yeah
3: yeah that's not helpful <laughs>
1: <laughs> also yeah not ideally helpful for me here either um Trying to think of anyone who's been nominated for any Oscar who is (laughs) I don't know is
3: and then the sister's name could be anything who
1: who was nominated for some Oscars on the women's side last year choose any name from that list and I'm fine to go with it if it's someone who who emerged after 2004
3: oh this is showing me what I need to work on learning (laughs) since you're in the lead I'm gonna pull that card I'm gonna give it to you just to say a random name (laughs) oh
1: damn it all right. Um, I am. So an act- basically I'm trying to think of an actress who's probably around 40-ish right now who's been nominated for an Oscar, but wasn't famous around- until 2004 or after. And, any names here? I don't know. Um, You're more optimistic than I. I have nothing on this. Let's go with Spencer. Let's go with Spencer.
3: Sure.
1: Lock it in.
0: Alright, Devin? So,
2: I actually don't no, this the one real big hole in my film and TV knowledge is horror. I just do not care for it. Um, and I've never seen American Horror Story. And if you were asking me questions about Deborah Granik and Winter's Bone and all of that, then I would have an answer. And I'm trying to think of, but I can't think of that movie before that. And there are certain of my friends who, if they're listening to this episode, are screaming at their podcasting device right now because I definitely know people who knew this about five minutes ago. Um, not Jerry Gergich. Um I'm still
1: pissed about that 256 ounce
2: thing. <laughs> so all right, let, let me just because this was a, yeah this was a long thread. Okay, so Deborah Granick did Leave No Trace, which is great. Not as good as Paddington 2, but is great. And then she also did Winter's Bone. And then she also did this movie in 2004 yes yes which has a similar title to winter's bone yes and i don't think this is the movie but for some reason i keep thinking the bone collector but that may, they were harping on the winter thing for some reason i think it's a bone thing which uh which is probably wrong but then this actress has a nomination and an, an oscar nomination and an emmy the one who was in the 2004 movie right
0: uh, Oscar nomination, I don't know if she's won an Emmy, but she was nominated last year, and possibly uh, before then as well. Oh, she was
2: nominated last year for an Emmy. She has an Oscar nomination at some point, and a nomination last year for an Emmy?
0: Yes, that's correct. Um,
2: um, that. But you didn't say what category, right? Nope. Okay. Nope. Um, and...
0: I mean, these are all performing categories I'm talking about.
2: Yeah, 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 but, but in terms of whether it was... Drama or comedy, um, and then this person has a 20 years younger sister who is in successful horror movies, and or and, and then also on American Horror
0: Story. No, I, I'm saying that this person herself has been in successful horror movies.
2: Oh, oh, okay, okay, and, but then her sister is on American Horror Story. Yes. Okay. Um. So that changes a little bit because I can go back to more to older horror movies, but I still don't know who... because I don't watch horror, and therein lies the problem. I'm, I, I'm not going to get it. Judd. What was your guess? Judd. Judd, you said? Yeah,
0: Judd. Okay. Yeah, I was actually surprised to see Wikipedia label her as a scream girl. I associated this actress more with more prestigious projects, but I also, like the rest of you, don't really watch horror movies that much. I had apparently missed her getting a franchise that has made a lot at the box office in the past few years from people who are not any of us. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. So the um the movie, the 2004 movie, you are right that it was the bone part that was similar. It was called Down to the Bone.
2: Oh, right. Yeah. Um,
0: it was the first kind of major role this actress. A couple of years later, she was in the Best Picture uh, Oscar winner. A few years after that, she got a Best Supporting Actress nomination. And last year, she was in When They See Us as a lawyer, but before that got another Emmy nomination, I think, for her role as Norma Bates on Bates Motel. Um, and, and has been in a few other horror theme projects, Orphan Joshua, but most recently played Lorraine Warren, who was a, a real woman. One of my pub quiz teammates is from the Connecticut area. She always will tell me about Ed and Lorraine Warren, but... Uh, in the recent Conjuring franchise, Lorraine was played by Vera Farmiga. Oh. Yeah, whose sister, Thaisa Farmiga, is uh, about 20, a little over 20 years younger than her, and was in her directorial debut, Higher Ground, and has also appeared several times on American Horror Story. Go All ahead right.
2: and yell at me, people who I know are going to yell at me after you hear this.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, Christine and Devin now to steal from Marin. Linda Lindell, a white American soul singer from Gainesville, Florida, released a certain song on Stax Volt Records in 1968 that became a modest hit. But she soon after left the music business, reportedly due to threats from white supremacist groups who were angry she was, I guess, performing black music or with black musicians. Anyway, uh, she only emerged from obscurity when her song was used as a basis for a massive... R&B slash hip-hop hit of 1993. This is probably less helpful, but in 2011, her original song was covered by Lena, the German Eurovision Song Contest winner for the soundtrack of a German romantic comedy named after that song. Anyway, name either the original song or the similarly titled early 90s hit built on a sample from it.
3: What year did you say the song in the 90s was? 1993. Did you say which type of song was it? R&B or
0: both r&b slash hip-hop
3: r&b slash hip-hop
0: okay all right uh
2: i'm trying to piece together my like i i don't know but i am willing to guess based on everything that this was a bad boy entertainment song okay um i'll be missing you so at first i thought it was hypnotized but then the question about hip-hop slash R&B, maybe think it was I'll Be Missing You. But I don't know if that timeline works because...
3: That sounds like it could be a good Eurovision, or not Eurovision, but it, uh, whatever the contest was. It, it yeah, sounds, but, like, sounds like it would be a movie title, too.
2: But I at, at the same time, I think I'll Be miss. I mean, I'll Be Missing You is the song that Faith Evans and Puffy did after Biggie died. And if this was a 93 song, that would have been too early some screwing up my timeline, but um, it could also be, so Doggy Style came out in 93, or was it 92? Chronic was 91. I think Doggy Style came out in 90, no, Doggy Style definitely came out in 93, um, but a lot of that sampling was off, like, George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic stuff, I don't think that they... I'm feeling hypnotized. Hi- hypnotized was my first. So, was my I, don't first. Know,
3: I don't know anything that you just said, so you know more than I do, so go for it.
2: So hypnotized was my gut instinct. I'm not super confident, but that's that's what I'll say. And if you want to lock that in...
3: cause Sure, yes, go I for it.
2: Hypnotize.
0: All right, Maren? There's a
1: tough one here. I'm, I don't know this one, so I'm going to try to come up with some guesses here. So R&B and hip-hop makes me think that maybe it's... I mean, it could be within a group that had, like, rappers and, and singers, or it could be a collaboration. Um, I'm trying to think of what could have been, like, rapper R&B collaborations at that time. Probably 93, I think, is too early for Hey Lover by uh by Ella Cool Jane Voiced Man, but that's a possibility. There was that, like, kind of pop R&B thing that had Bell I think it had, like, maybe even Janet Jackson plus Bell Biv and some other people on it called The Best Things in Life are Free in 90... I think that was around 93. I don't know if it's a big enough hit to, to merit here. Um, I am... It's probably something more that was more of a hit than that, but... Ah, oh, man. Let's see. Who else was doing R&B slash hip-hop at that time? Got your... Uh, I guess it could be something in the vein of, you know, TLC mixed it up, but did they have anything really in 93 that was a big uh, hit in both of those games? Let's see and see what would have come out because um around that era would have been songs like baby 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 no ain't too proud to beg no that's true that was 92 i think and then that was creep which was i think creep might have come out in 93 although around the same time but i think that's probably off, if that was off the same album that was technically 92 i don't know this is a tough one here i'll go with the best things in life are free lock it in
0: so I was maybe hoping I'd kind of primed the pump a little bit by earlier asking you to generate black female R&B hip-hop artist, because actually, the earlier question, um, the, the song was a collaboration, and both of the groups that collaborated on it were mentioned. Isn't What the, a Man? So Linda Lindell's song was called oh, What god. a Man. Oh <laughs> my god.
1: <laughs> I can't believe I missed a What a Man question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the, oh. the salt and Vogue one was just a slightly shortened title, What a Man.
1: Oh, well, great question. I am ashamed to have missed
0: that.
2: Smooth like Barry, and his voice got bass.
0: (laughs) All right. Now, uh, Marin and Devin to steal from Christine. Marsha Williams, later Baroness Falkender, was known as the private secretary and political secretary and unofficial power behind the throne, sort of, of what late 20th century UK Labour Prime Minister? One notorious story claimed that she once told this man's wife, I slept with your husband five times in 1956. It was not satisfactory. So late 20th
1: century Labour Prime Minister is what I heard there, right?
2: Yep. But someone who would be sleeping with people in 1956. Yes. (laughs) Hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm going through what I can remember of post-Thatcher prime ministers, right? So there's Blair, Major, Brown.
1: Yeah, Gordon. I'm oh, sorry, and then yeah, Blair, uh, yeah, Gordon Brown. you have got, but that's all. Those would all be too young for this. It would have yeah. to be someone I mean,
2: like I, I don't know who it was. Like it I wasn't, was
1: in the 70s. It has to be someone from the 70s, right?
2: Oh yeah, I guess it could be pre. Thatcher, right. I guess that would still be late 20th century in the 70s.
1: Um, and I am blanking on my prime ministers of the
2: 70s here. I I have a big blank spot between Churchill and Thatcher. I have no, again, if it's not a Scottish tea merchant.
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess there was Clement Attlee, who was technically in the second half of the 20th century, who was Labour. Um, but I feel like he was probably, if I recall, I think he was off the scene by the, he would have been off out of the scene by the 60s at least. So I don't know. There's this gap there in between. Who would have,
0: who would have been?
1: I know Pit, I'm going to. Hmm?
2: Pit the Elder?
1: Um, Lord Palmerston. Yeah. <laughs> um, ah, damn. Okay. I feel like I've watched enough British comedy shows where they moan about politicians too much that I should know this.
2: Is Attlee a thing? I feel like
1: Atlee. Yeah, Atlee, uh, yeah, Clement Attlee was definitely a Labour Prime Minister, but he was like, you know, in the earlier part of the second half of the 20th century. So if you have nothing else, I would go with him because I don't think anyone should have been sleeping with Tony Blair in 1958 or Gordon Brown, for that matter. That would, that would not be pleasant.
2: Well, when you say later, ha- like, was Attlee like the 60s or the 70s? I mean,
1: he was even in the 50s, if I recall. Um, even possibly the late 40s at some point. He definitely crossed over, if I recall, into the 20, second half of the 20th century. But um, And I think he actually did have a decently long career, but I don't think he made it like deep into the 60s, if I, and possibly not even past the 50s. I could be totally wrong about that. that. That whole era is kind of a blur, the pre-Thatcher era for me. If we have nothing else
2: in a minute, I guess we should go with him. But... All right, well, I don't know that I'm getting... Any more in a minute? So.
1: All right. Let's just go with Atlee. Lock it in,
2: shall we? Yeah. I had. Yeah. Sure. Do you have
0: another guess? No, Atlee. Let's go. Okay. Uh, yeah. No. Atlee. Again, I have a kind of a. I remember specifically because he was the prime minister when India got its independence. And yeah, so his his term ended in 1951. He wasn't really a late. Wait, 20, yeah. Still second half of the century. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Christine.
3: So. When I put my specialty as British history, <laughs> I didn't mean this part. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the prime ministers are not really my thing. Neither is second half of the 20th century at all. Um, so when you said late 20th century, that is rather non nonspecific. That <coughs> so, I means, like, define late.
0: gives the second half of the 20th
3: century. Second half of the 20th century. Like 1951. Uh,
2: <laughs>
3: so if I if I had kept up on my going through the crown now you know going through all these prime ministers I might have hit upon it. Uh, so Churchill retired or he left office in the early part of the 1950s shortly after Elizabeth II came into power or took the throne and then people who came after him oh, I have. Absolutely, got nothing because again, there's just this huge. Uh, the, one of the guys said this huge gap in prime ministers between Churchill and Thatcher, and that's exactly where I am. Um, trying to think, uh, trying to think through just some random last names that I've heard associated with the British government. <laughs> that's basically the point I'm at. I hate that this is my last.
0: We'll have one more specialist question after this. But um, if late 20th century British history isn't your thing, then um, you might not like that question too much either.
3: <laughs> oh, there is? Okay, I feel a little better now. Oh, great. Okay. I should have been more specific in my specialty listing. Um, okay, I'm going to say Edward and just throw it out as British something that's name. There you go. Lock-
0: Sorry, uh, what was that, that you said?
3: I said Edwards.
0: Edwards? Yeah, your, your audio is kind of, yeah, a little laggy there. Yeah. Uh, but was, was it Edwards?
3: Yeah, it Edwards.
0: Okay, yeah. So this quote actually was, so when I, I think um, when Baroness Falkencher died, I think in 2019, mm-hmm. and I read her obituary, I thought that was a, a fun quote. When I started writing questions about it, everyone was like, oh yeah, that was in The Crown. So uh, it, apparently it was featured in The Crown. So if you had stuck oh. with that, you have, uh, probably would have remembered it. But um, she was the secretary of Harold Wilson.
3: Nope, doesn't uh,
0: so. yeah. Yeah, it is, it is interesting how that sort of... Exactly exact like you're saying, between Churchill and Thatcher, there's sort of that memory hole we, we all seem to have. All right, Christine and Marin now to steal from Devin. Okay. <laughs> Walter Hottenhofer on The Simpsons, Shrimply Pibbles on Rick and Morty, himself on American Dad and The Boondocks. These are among the instantly recognizable voice roles performed by what actor? Among his live-action roles are a recurring turn on The Mandalorian as The Client, and a brief appearance in the Season 7 premiere of Parks and Recreation as Keg Jeggings, who sells a haunted house to Andy and April.
1: Oh, you know what? This is ringing a bell for me right now. There's, I, there was nothing—nothing nothing was ringing a bell up until that last little bit there, but <laughs> I believe that raccoon-infested— Former industrial hellhole that was sold to Andy in April was sold to them by Werner Herzog. <laughs> I can see that. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think. Well, let's lock that in, shall we? Or <laughs> unless we have anything else.
0: Go for it. All right, let's lock it in. All right. Yeah, I can see the uh, the disappointment on Dan's face and that. Uh...
2: Why did you have to give it away with that last? <laughs> <one>? <laughs>
0: Well, that was your specialty category, so that, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, the world is just a dark and lonely pit of nothingness.
2: (laughs) All right, so, yeah, we, uh... I'm just looking at
1: someone else's specialty with a show I've seen every episode of, too, so...
2: Yeah, just like me and soccer in British history.
0: All right, so now we're going into the last cycle of questions. Each of you will get one remaining specialist question. And, yeah, the scores are pretty far apart right now, so I won't bother going over them. Okay, so, yeah. My (laughs) name. All right, Christine and Devin now to steal from Marin. In a 2014 World Cup game against Belgium, USA goalkeeper Tim Howard set a World Cup record for most saves in a single game, or as I referred to it at the time, a record for worst teammates. Uh... According to the most recent statistics posted on the FIFA website, within one, how many saves did he record during that game, including extra time?
3: So what's a reasonable number of saves that could happen in a game of soccer? I don't know.
2: Um, The number that jumps out to me is 22. Okay. But I have no idea. Like, 22 would be high, I feel like. But it is a record. Also... For some reason, I thought of the number 17. That could be it, too. I'd say the answer is definitely a number between 10 and 1,000. So if you want to know, <laughs> I think we're good to go.
3: How about I take your two numbers, your two real numbers that you said, 17 and 22, and I will pick something in between them. Does that work? Works for me. I mean, I don't even think there's a, any way for us to catch up with Marin at this point. Nope.
2: We just, so wanted, we just want to steal his precious points.
3: That's <laughs> okay. Let's go with 20. You want to sure. do that? Yeah.
2: All right, 20? All right, 20. Block 20. it. Marin. Okay, so this was the, a,
1: world, a record for a World Cup game for most saves, correct? Yep. All right, so it's I feel like it was something that was surprisingly low, given the fact that official statistical recording of what is a technical save it seems to be very, very strict, and I say that with some bitterness. As a rec league goalie who still hasn't given up his you know hopes of being on the U.S. World Cup team, although I think that's probably... Not going to happen, given that my current league plays behind a CVS. Um, but
2: four years, I think you got it. Don't even.
1: Them- <laughs> Not forty yet, almost. Um, but um, I, it was something, you know, relatively low, but at the same time, a record, which is you know something a lot for credited saves in a game. It was enough to, so that people changed his Wikipedia title to Secretary of Defense right after. I remember that. But I want to
0: say. 12 all right locking in 12 yes all right so i think i would have given a little latitude on accepting this because most news sources right after it happened reported it as 16. the official fifa website now says 15. so i would have uh, accepted yeah. anything between 14 and 17.
3: Oh, we were so close Devin. oh man
2: I, it was that knowledge that i had was so right
0: <laughs> all right so a uh, penultimate question now marin and devin to steal from christine In what was possibly the first unilateral declaration of independence from the British Empire since the American Revolution, what white supremacist prime minister declared Rhodesia to be a sovereign state in 1965? He eventually stepped down from office in 1979, shortly before his nation became independent under black majority rule as Zimbabwe, but amazingly remained in Zimbabwe, in Harare largely unprotected until a few years before his death in 2007. All right. How about we guess a very common last name for this one? Because
2: if, if there were a bunch of clues that led to the answer of Rhodesia, I think I would have gotten it. If we wanted to go with racists a little further south in South Africa, I feel like I would have gotten it. But you go pick a last name.
0: I'm going to pick a last name, Smith comma Ian. <laughs> so as always, I've been trying to train you to guess Smith when you don't know it. And, <laughs> uh, and when, in this case, when you do know it, you uh, Smith oh. also off as a correct oh. answer. Cool. Yeah,
2: points. Yeah, you needed a few more of those. Glad you got them. Hey, you got some, too.
1: <laughs> that
3: probably was enough to... I'm sure I'm in third place now.
2: <laughs> Don't worry. Marin's going to know this Parks and Rec question, and then I won't get
3: the...
0: <laughs> all right, so this question is not a Parks and Rec question. It is another class name-centric question. So, out of all the credited repertory and feature players in the history of Saturday Night Live, there's only one surname shared by three of them. One man with this surname was on SNL from 1982 to 1984 opposite his wife. Another was a cast member during the 1984-85 season and went on to a successful career as an author, TV presenter, and stand-up comic who now spends most of his time in England. The third was the youngest ever Saturday Night Live cast member, joining in 1985 at the age of 17, but is today better remembered for film roles. What is their shared surname? So the
1: only part there that really jumps out at me is 82 to 84 opposite his wife. And I think that Julia Lurie Dreyfus, when she was briefly on, and her husband, who I think, Brad Hall, if, I, if that rings a bell. I don't know. Um, that would be, I guess, there. And I don't know if Anthony Michael Hall was ever on SNL in the mid-80s, but then is better known for film roles around that age could be a plausible thing. I don't know.
3: And Hall is certainly a common last name.
1: So, yeah, I don't know if you have any other ideas.
3: Oh, I have no, I have absolutely no ideas, no.
1: So, all right, let's just go. <laughs> shall we go for that, then? Yeah. All right, let's lock in Hall.
0: All right. So I, I don't want to go through this whole game without a single bonus question, so I will ask Devin, name any other last name shared by two Saturday Night Live cast members, feature or repertory, who were not family members.
2: Oh, who were not family members. Um... All right, give me a second. Yeah, Yes, Anthony Michael Hall was on SNL to answer your I did not know
0: that. I learned something new here.
2: Um, I didn't know he was the youngest. I didn't know he was only 17. Um, uh, sorry, I'm going through a lot of people in my head right now. Um, since you said you can just cut all this dead air. <laughs> because this is one of those ones that I... So, like, not... Because, like, both Belushi brothers were on it. Mm. Um, but who don't... Oh, well, Seth and Mike Myers...
0: Is that what you're locking in?
2: But do they spell it different? Mike, I think they spell it differently. Oh, there was a second Jackson, too, I think. Because there's Victoria Jackson, and I want to say there's another one who, like, I'm just blanking on. I'm gonna go with Jackson, and then it'd be wrong, and My- I should have said Myers.
0: So um, yeah, I don't think I could have accepted Myers because those are separate last names: M E Y E R S and M Y E R S. Yeah, I don't have the list right in front of me, but I cannot—I do not recall a second, second to Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Um, in terms of non-family members, the two that come to mind at least—and I, I don't have a comprehensive list in front of me—but two that definitely come to mind are Siobhan Fallon and Jimmy oh, Fallon. Jimmy like Fallon, right? Yeah, and Terry Sweeney and Julia Sweeney. Right, right. Yep. Yeah. In terms of fam, there are a few that are just kind of gimmies. Uh, the Belushi Brothers, the Aykroyd Brothers, yeah, Jim and Robert Downey we've already mentioned. I think uh, Abby and Chris Elliott. Uh, maybe, maybe a few others. But.
1: Right.
0: And who All was right. that third, uh, Who was the third Hall, by the way? The 84-85 uh, the one. That was the inventor of the Sniglet, Rich Hall. Yeah, yeah he, he's now a common panel show guest in British TV. I believe I'll I'll go back and check these, but it looks like we have final scores of 51.3, Marin, 35.1, Christine, 21.2, Devin.
2: Golf rules, I win. Good job, everyone. Nice to meet you all.
0: Nice yeah. to meet you. Alright, me so before we sign off, we each get a, a final chance to say basically anything you want. It can be about the game, completely unrelated to the game or anywhere in between. And as long as it's not too long or too offensive, it'll be kept in and we'll go in reverse order of scoring so the lowest scoring player has the last word. So we'll start with Marin. I would like to take
1: this opportunity to apologize to the fine women of Invogue for missing a question about you tonight. If you're listening. I promise this will never happen again. I'm deeply sorry. They are the greatest. All right. Christine?
2: You want that apology, but you're never going to get it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not this time.
3: Um, I would like to take this opportunity to put in a plug for my new YouTube channel that will probably be operational by the time this podcast episode airs. uh, The Trivial Pianist, which is going to be my combination of classical music with related trivia questions.
0: All right, yeah. It seems like there are many people who could learn from that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, well, I
2: want to say thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun, even if you put me on with someone else who knows a lot about Parks and Rec. And I do want to – I'll give a plug as well. My first feature film that I produced is currently on Amazon, <laughs> iTunes, Google Play, etc. It's called Saints Rest. It's a wonderful original movie musical about two sisters in Iowa who learn the true meaning of home, and it's nice. very good, if I do say so myself. Saints rest. Like, they go marching in, then they're tired, so they rest.
0: <laughs> cool. And yeah, hopefully, if it, if it becomes successful enough, it'll one day be an answer to a question. On uh... or,
2: or I become super successful after, and it's a really hard answer to a question.
0: One <laughs> of the... There we go. Yeah, it could be the hard clue for you. Yeah, exactly. This has been episode 11 of Recreational Thinking with Yoga Shroud. Thanks for listening.